Welcome to Bible Insights with Wayne Conrad. God's Word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Today's topic, making the Easter confession. I want you to go with me back to the day of resurrection. Obviously, that happened over 2,000 years ago, but it is a historic event and it's been recorded for us by the eyewitnesses in the gospel narratives. One of those eyewitnesses is John, who was perhaps a younger disciple of the Lord Jesus, but he was certainly one that was very close to the Lord Jesus Christ. And he wrote what we call the fourth gospel. Now, why I want you to go with me back to that day is because of what happens in the evening of that first day, the day of the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If you can recall the story, Mary Magdalene went early to the tomb and the stone had been rolled away. The body was not there. And she ran with all of her might to tell Peter and John and the other apostles that the Lord was missing. Somebody had messed with his body. He wasn't in the tomb. When she arrived, probably out of breath, and told them what she had heard and seen, Peter and John immediately got up and ran toward the tomb. John, being younger, reached the tomb first, but he did not go in. Peter, lagging a little behind, came in and immediately went into the the cave tomb. Yes, the body was missing, but interestingly, grave clothes were there. In fact, the headpiece had been wrapped up and folded as if intentionally left behind. Maybe there's no body. There's just clothes there, but obviously they haven't been disarrayed. It's, it's like a cocoon, an empty form, but the body is missing. Well, they go on back to the, meet with the other apostles. They meet behind closed doors. There are a lot of activities that happened on the day of resurrection, some of which I've spoken about in previous podcasts and another one or two to come. But here's this one. On the evening of that first day of the week, John writes, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came. And he stood among them, and he spoke this word, Shalom. Now, we translate that, peace be with you. Now, that's a wonderful word. The risen Christ is telling them, don't be troubled. All is well, for I am alive. I am here. And After he said this to them, he showed them his hands and his side. Now, that's very interesting. What would they see in his hands? What would they see in his side? Well, if you read the crucifixion narratives, in his hands will be the places where the nails had been driven into them. And in his side will be the place where the sword had pierced him. Now, though he is there In the physical body, a resurrected body, 
Left behind are the scars. Evidently, they will be permanently in this resurrected body of our Lord. Why? Because they show, they show his atoning sacrifice. He has died for them. And here is the evidence. Also, this is the evidence immediately to their visual that this was the same Jesus who had been put to death on the cross that now stands before them. So he showed them his hands and his side. The result was that the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. That's interesting. In the Luke account, it says they were overjoyed, and yet that overjoy was with a bit of mystery, with elements of doubt. They didn't know what they were seeing. This was too good to be true. But we're sticking with John. So the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Now, this is what John records. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now, for us to understand this action of the Lord Jesus on the resurrection day evening, we have to go back and read the account of Christ's instruction to the disciples on the eve of his crucifixion. There in the upper room, when they came together to celebrate the last of the Passover meals with them, he instructed them. Evidently, it was a few hours that he was there. And he told them about the Holy Spirit. He told them about his upcoming uh, ascension back to the Father. He, he told them that he was going to be leaving them. He told them that he was going to give them the gift of the Spirit. And he told them that they would have a work to do as his disciples. So now he stands before them and he tells them, as the Father sent me, I am sending you. Now he had done this in the days of his flesh as well. He had sent them out on missions. He didn't go with all of them all the time. Sometimes some of them would be in parties of two, going to the different towns and localities. Another time he sent out 72. They were to do what he did. They were to speak the word that he spoke. But now he is reminding them that this is their commission, but now they have the full story because he's not just in the flesh as the Messiah, doing the works of the Messiah. He is also the one who has accomplished the work of the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. So as the Father sent me, I'm sending you. Receive the Holy Spirit. And he breathed on them. Now we can make conjectures about what happened we know that this is not yet the day of Pentecost when the Spirit comes in power upon them and that Luke foretells in his gospel account. But it is where the Spirit becomes very active in their life. Many look upon this as a time when they receive the Spirit of regeneration. And I don't know if that would be exactly right or not, for they already know the Lord. But there's something that happened, something that happened that made the Spirit very much alive to them. And the Spirit came to testify of Jesus. And he's going to be the one who testifies of the risen Jesus Christ as the apostles go forth in his name. Well, that's what happened. The very abbreviated account 
given to us by John on Resurrection Day evening. But there were only 10 of the apostles together. Only 10, not 11. Now, you know, there used to be 12. But Judas had betrayed him, and then Judas committed suicide. So that left 11, and sometimes they're referred to as 11. But on this night, there were only 10. There was a missing apostle. Now, we don't need to fault him. Maybe he was with his family. Maybe he had other work to do. We don't know. Grief does a lot of things to people. These disciples had been grieving because of the death of their Lord and Master, Jesus. But now Thomas, we're told, John writes, also known as Didymus, that means a twin, one of the twins. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So, I don't know if he arrived later that night after Jesus makes his appearance to them, or if it's the next day, but when he came back and they saw him again, they told him, we have seen the Lord. And they testified to their experience with the risen Jesus. But here's Thomas's reaction. He said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Woo. Now they have given to him testimony, eyewitness testimony of what they saw. That's how he knew that he had had marks in his hands and that he had a slit where a spear had gone into his side. But he's saying, unless I see it with my own eyes, I'm not going to believe. In other words, I'm not going to believe your testimony. I need to see it for myself. Now, our Lord is very patient. He's very long-suffering. And he knows that sometimes we need verification. Now, he's been verifying his resurrection. He's done it to the women that he appeared to in that day. He did it to the disciples on the road to Emmaus when he said it, meal with them that evening. And he has done it to these disciples on Resurrection Day evening. But now Thomas, the next day or so, says, I won't believe your testimony. I have to see it for my own self. Our Lord, in his patience and long-suffering, a week later, that's going to be on the first day of the week, a week later, after Resurrection Day, his disciples were in the house again. That indicates that they had an arrangement to meet together on that day. And Thomas was with them this time. So we have the 11 there. And though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them. And he said, peace be with you. Shalom. And then he addressed himself directly to Thomas, the one who expressed doubt, or the one who expressed skepticism, shall we say, and one who demanded verification for his own sake. He said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands? Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. 
I'm sure that Thomas did exactly what he told him to do. Jesus stooped, we might say, to Thomas's need because he wants Thomas to be one of those witnesses of the resurrection, to preach in great power after the day of Pentecost of the risen Jesus Christ. Well, here's Thomas's reaction. After I'm sure he had been dazed by the presence of Christ and the invitation or all maybe the command of Christ, uh, Jesus doesn't say to him, well, see, now, now you can see me, touch me and see. He says, put your finger here. Jesus, therefore, shows with one hand, he puts his finger on the hole of the other hand, and then he puts his finger on the side. That's the picture we get from this word. Put your finger here. See my hands? Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Don't just look at it. Touch it. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas I'm sure, fell on his knees as he made the great Easter confession. My Lord and my God. Now that's the true Easter confession. Because you see, what the resurrection did, it verifies the person of Christ, his identity, as the Messiah. But the Messiah, you see, is the son of Abraham, the son of David. That is, he comes through the lineage of Abraham and the lineage of David in fulfillment of the Abrahamic and the Davidic covenant. So he is the king of the kingdom of God. He is the seed of Abraham. And he is the seed of the woman. This is the Messiah. This is the promised one. This is the Christ, the appointed redeemer, now the atoning sacrifice for the sins of mankind. Thomas makes that confession. My Lord and my God. Now Thomas had made a previous confession along with Peter who voiced it for all of them the confession that Jesus was the Messiah. In their minds, the King of Israel. He was the Messiah who had come in fulfillment of God's promise, and he did the works of the Messiah. But now, this is a step further. For Jesus has now made the atoning sacrifice, and Jesus, having been risen from the dead is declared by the power of the Holy Spirit through the resurrection of the dead to be the Son of God, the Son of the living God, the Savior, the one whom not only did God promise, but the one in whom God himself came and did the work of the redemption of man. Thomas now sees that. He sees that Jesus is all he ever claimed to be. 
And he makes the personal confession, my Lord, my master, my sovereign, my king, my God, incarnate deity, the savior of God's people. Then Jesus makes his last beatitude in the flesh, but now the resurrected flesh, Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. And it's good. Jesus needed eyewitnesses. He has eyewitnesses. The women, the two disciples on the road, and the apostles and others. In fact, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, at one time, a group of 500 saw him at the same time. So many witnesses. He showed himself, Acts 1 tells us, with many infallible proofs for 40 days. Witnesses are there, and they've recorded their testimony, and we're to believe the testimony. This is what Jesus said to Thomas. Because you've seen me, that is because you've been chosen one of my witnesses, and you have seen me, and you have believed. But blessed, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. That is, we believe, I include myself here, we believe in Jesus Christ and we believe in his resurrection from the dead, not because I've seen him in the flesh myself in his risen glory, but because I have the word of the eyewitnesses who did see him. And I believe the testimony that they have borne. And that testimony of what they have borne, when I have repented of my lack of faith in him and turned to him, has resulted in a living relationship with God in the forgiveness of my sins and in a heart filled with the joy of the living Christ and the presence of his Holy Spirit. I'm blessed because though I've not seen him in the flesh, yet I have believed. Is that true of you? Have you made the Easter confession? Have you said to Jesus, I believe, I believe the record, I believe you are who you claim to be. I believe you have done what you said you would do. I believe that you are my Lord and my God. Now, don't be content to simply say that in your mind or simply agree with me. No, you must take the step of what Paul writes in Romans 10. If you believe in your heart, that God has raised him from the dead and you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved. So speak it. Speak it to him. Speak it to others. And when you speak it to a group of his disciples, you request to be baptized in his name because you want to know 
the fullness of that reality that in him you died, in him you were buried, and in him you were raised to eternal life that begins now, the moment you believe, the moment you make the great confession and shall never end. Jesus, my Lord and my God. This has been Wayne Conrad with Bible Insights. This is brought to you by the Good Shepherd Church, Dallas, Texas.